On this episode of Estate of Control, we talk about the importance of remote support, especially now during the summer of 2020, when we're all dealing with a pandemic. How does remote support happen? What are the key elements to make sure it's successful? And why is it an important part of a programmer's skill set? All that and more on Estate of Control. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. A state of control, episode 72 virtual presence. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Atlas IED, innovative audio solutions for every business environment. Welcome to A State of Control, an aviation podcast that highlights the control, programming, and automation aspects of the audiovisual industry. My name is Steve Greenblatt. I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. So on today's show, we're going to talk about a valued skill that's always been an asset for programmers, and it's particularly relevant right now as we're recording during the summer of 2020 amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And this skill that we're t- referring to is the ability to support programming uh, deployment and projects remotely. So with me to discuss this are a couple of guests that I think will have a lot of relevance to this topic. But first and foremost, let me introduce my partner here at Estate of Control and say hi to our roving reporter. He's none other than Rich Fergosa from Fergosa Design. Welcome, Rich. Hey, hey. Well, you know, of course, what else would be... Uh... Why have a show about uh, about being remote without actually calling in remotely? So, uh, you know, it's worked out. Mellow West Coast greetings from this side, from from parts unknown. That's two in a row for you. And next uh, returning guest, uh, he's been with us actually for his fourth go around, so he must like us by now. He's, he, his name is Brian McGrogan from Verex. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Steve. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. Good to see you. And last but not least, someone who I've known actually since I kind of started out doing independent programming, another uh, fellow business owner. Uh, He is Frank Damiano from Damiano Global. Welcome, Frank. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here, Steve. Thank you for having me on. Anytime. So for years, we've all had this great debate, you know, whether programmers need to be on site or whether they could be more effective remotely. And... Um, that decision isn't always clear. You know, sometimes it comes down to preference and capability, feasibility. But right now, with all the restrictions that we have, uh, you know, both with travel and and also being on site, site conditions and and you know, health concerns, there's a little bit more of an emphasis on being able to do things, be a little bit more creative, do things remotely, and and come up with new ways of being able to continue business and continue to to support our projects. So, I know, Rich, uh, I'm going to let you kind of set set the scene a little bit. But when it, when we're talking about doing something on site or remote, you know, what what are, what are the what, what do we what do we talk about? Like, what are the, some of the criteria that we use? Is it something that that is a, a personal preference or something that is a requirement? 
you know, how, how do you go about looking at that? Um, I think at this point it's a requirement. And I think that, um, you know, what, what we found finally is that users, I mean, it's not that remote access wasn't becoming a trend and a, and a need for so many of the systems that we maintain, but now obviously with social distancing, you know, it, it provides a safety issue and it, it, it makes sure that we are only showing up on site when it's absolutely necessary, which is business. Again, I mean, you factor in travel time and, and, you know, that's just with local jobs. I know that pretty much everybody here, we all work in areas outside of our, you know, our, our geographic areas. So all of a sudden, you know, 15 years ago, what used to be, you know, potentially jumping on an airplane to fix something. Um, you know, I mean, I know people who do government institutions, you know, people who do corporate or educational. Uh, you know, we're finally getting to the point where the technology is secure enough that, you know, unless you absolutely have to be there, you can be more productive, you can be more profitable, and technically you can typically bring down the cost of projects when you can present that as an option as not having to physically be there. I mean, the, the, the tools these days, I mean, I, I, we, we used to have a running joke and we tell stories that, you know, 20 years ago, we would have modems, you know, 9,600 baht modems set up on the fax line. And, you know, the running joke was is that, you know, if you had to call in to update the program, you have to run around the house yelling, don't pick up the phone, don't pick up the phone. <laughs> and so we've come a long way since then. And, uh, uh, you know, I mean, again, I, I would say at this point, probably 80, 85% of my projects are, are remote. And, I mean, I've had projects, more projects in the last two years, but I've never physically seen the site. Uh, and it has made it uh, a lot more convenient and a lot more effective for all of us. So, Brian, uh, your your situation's a little bit different, where you're you're working with an integration firm, and you're and you have people that you 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 may work with regularly, but at least you know who they are. You have you have relationships. You you can kind of assess skill level and so forth. What are, what are some of the things that you need to prepare when you're working on a project remotely? Yeah. So like you said, Steve, you know, I, I have some of the, uh, some fortune that you guys sometimes don't have is I know exactly who I'm going to work with most of the time. So that is, is very helpful. And knowing who is going to be at a job site, knowing who's going to be there and their, and their skill levels allows me to just get my head in the right space partially mm -hmm. to know that, okay, today I'm going to be dedicating more time than, you know, maybe I, I would like to, but or today is going to be a great day. I'm going to get to work on a couple other projects. I'm going to, we can just kind of go on autopilot and shoot off code and get some good detailed responses back, you know, make a couple fixes, send it back, get the okay. Um, or, you know, I might have to jump on someone's laptop, but for me, a lot of the times it is, uh, it's scheduling, right. And making sure that on the days that I know that I'm heavily booked or the days I know that I'm, I've got a lot of field support going on then I, I don't have four or five other meetings as well, or I don't have four or five other deadlines that day. So I'll go ahead and block off the afternoon of my calendar, things, things of that nature. Um, we're fortunate enough that we have all the remote tools needed. Um, you know, we each have a remote login so that we can, we can share with text. We can do that now, obviously with having zoom as well as Skype, as well as go to assist. So we have all the tools that we need um, in order to do that and succeed every single day. Frank, uh, I'll bring you into the conversation here. Brian, Brian mentioned tools, and I know that that's something that you, you are, are heavily invested in. And, and I know that part of your business model is to is to to work remotely, uh, if if not uh, exclusively that way. Um, tell me a little bit about 
the importance of those tools and 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 what are some ways that you can ensure success when you're when you're or, i mean of course nobody can ensure it a hundred percent but but what are some of the ways that that you can uh, hedge your bet to be successful when you're supporting a, a project remotely i mean where to begin steve our entire business model is built around um tools and processes. So I actually was able to trademark the term white glove virtual presence because it describes the quality and the method by which we work with clients and we stand up and commission systems, right? And it, the way we warranty the systems. I mean, I, I can get to the details, but the reality is, is that um, I'm trying to think when I was last on a job site, I, I don't think I was on a job site for the past like eight years. And I might have visited one just to say, hey, right? But I certainly haven't worked on a job site. Um, so these tools and processes are critical. And I actually, I mean, I don't know, it all came together. I remember driving down to Connecticut to Hartford because I lived in Sturbridge, Massachusetts at the time, right? So I did this kind of frantic ride down to Hartford to test uh, WiMAX, right? Because the first generation of the portals we had, I decided, you know what, let me pay the extra money and build a WiMAX modem in all of them. And I was sitting at a coffee shop in Hartford, Connecticut, and I was able to just connect the power cord and the computer booted up and it connected to our servers. And this was like back in 2009. I remember being so happy. <laughs> I mean, it was like, okay. Uh, and it actually started, I remember um, I was on a sailboat, right? So we were sailing in the Caribbean and, um, I was in uh, Grand Martin, uh, so San Martin, and then we went to St. Bart's. So I was sitting in a gazebo in St. Bart's using a netbook. The skin for the netbook was like my seat to pad me from the stone ground of the gazebo, and I was ripping Wi-Fi off from this real estate office near the gazebo. And I commissioned an entire audio system with a USB headset. And, uh, and that's when I realized, you know what? There's something to this. If I can commission an entire audio system from St. Bart's in a gazebo using stolen Wi-Fi, um, borrowed Wi-Fi, then you can do anything. And from there, I actually very systematically went about building a series of tools and processes that can, and you know, I, I would say guarantee success. And I say guarantee success because while no one can ever guarantee an outcome in a creative process, what you can do is build a process which accommodates the reality of what a situation is and not what you want or expect it to be. So, you know, we have a lot of people in our industry that kind of try to deal with the, um, the inevitabilities through contracts, right? So I'm going to basically try to um, I and T my way out of this, you know, I'm going to make you sign some papers. We're going to put a bunch of stuff there. And then, we'll, and then when those things are violated, either it explains the failure or it, it is fodder for change orders. We said, you know what, since we all know that every project is fraught with peril, why don't we develop tools and processes around it that can accommodate it and create that um, elasticity, if you will, right? And it involves hardware, software, and business practices, which uh, we've been refining for years. I mean, and even just this year, we released a new tool, a web tool for all our guys that allows them to log journal entries that get sent to customers. Because we thought, you know, we gotta be different. We gotta 
document this stuff. We've got to be able to share it without shoving it in people's face. So even now it's still innovating and it's this ever evolving process, but yeah, it's a lot of hardware, a lot of IT. I mean, my official title with the company is founder and CTO and my informal one is fearless leader and it's CTO for a reason because I've never had to maintain more computers or do all that, but that, um, that process that we do where we actually maintain computer assets like an enterprise would allows us in a large part to offer the things that we do. I hope that answers that question. Sure. So, so Brian, uh, kind of following up on what you said and what Frank said, you know, there, there's, I have to believe because I know that we've run into it. There's, there's going to be challenges associated with doing things remotely. You know, sometimes it's connectivity. Sometimes it's the, the site conditions. Sometimes it's the people on the other end that you're working with. What are some of the ways that you can ma- make uh, a project go smoothly, or what? Or what are the des- actually? What is the, the decision-making criteria as to whether remote can work or not when when you're uh, make, de- determining how you're going to support a project? Well, I think our default, Steve, is always that we're going to support it remotely, right? And that is, and then it's a conversation, and it's usually a conversation um, between our team, right, the three of us, to start. Um, to say, who's going to take this project? Okay, you know, are, are there any kind of gotchas right up front, right? Is there any hardware we haven't worked with? Is there hardware we've worked with that we know is an issue, um, whether it be from a control setup, um, you know, configuration standpoint, any of that. And then we go from there. And we're, we're pretty fortunate that we stage 99% of our system, systems. So, I have, you know, a couple great guys that work back there that really understand everything, um, and we get to work on those systems in a known environment where, you know, if I need them to be looking at something, they're dedicated to that. So that's very fortunate. Um, but but there are times in that conversation that comes up, whether it be right up front to say, hey, we're going to dedicate the time to be on site, and if, if that changes, great, we get that time back, or... Sometimes that conversation will happen after the QA process of, you know, we know that this was very difficult and we have two of our best guys working on it. You know, we're going to have to dedicate some time to that. And that's something we try to get as early in the process as possible so that we can plan appropriately and we can ensure that, you know, I don't have three huge projects that are going to be landing at the same time at, and try to be on site. So we try to get at that as early in the process as possible um, to ensure that we're going to be successful. I I think the staging is a big asset for that, and and I I, I almost overlook that, but I, I you know it gives you that confidence of knowing that you can probably figure out where things are going to fall short if if they are going to. Yeah, and you know staging is wonderful, and don't get me wrong, I would never do it any other way. But sometimes in staging too, I, I do have to take a step back, and sometimes I'll take something for granted of, hey, that worked in staging you know, but I didn't necessarily see all the little components that were in there. So I can't just tell the field that, well, that worked in staging. I know it works. So, you know, but it's nice because those guys are there again and I can give them a call and, and put them, you know, in touch and the three of us will get on the phone and, oh yeah, we had to do this to that hardware. You know, you did a firmware update that's now undone. So, you know, let's do this again. And they try to document as much of that as possible as well. So, Rich, hopefully you're, you're still driving safely <laughs> when you're um, when when we're having this conversation and we're working with a client. What is there a perception? Is there a difference in perception if you're there 
personally on site uh, versus remotely. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's been conversation about, I need to see the programmer here because I know, know, need to know things are getting done. Um, is, is this a, a client issue that, that really needs to be tackled and, and discussed when, when you're deciding how you're going to support a project? Not any longer. I mean, in the old days, yeah. But again, that was much like the office trend, which was, you know, uh, remote workers. You know, people felt that they'd have to have people at desks and they needed to be productive and they needed to be babysat. And I think what's happening now is that clients as well are understanding that you can get the project done. And in fact, you can probably get it done a whole lot more effectively when you're offsite because you don't have necessarily the onsite distractions. Uh, I mean, we've gone so far as like on our residential projects, you know, when we've got projects in Hawaii or kind of resort areas, we'll even put cameras facing the rack and the back of the rack so that if a caretaker is there, uh, we'll actually go ahead and pull up a camera view. And if something goes weird, we can virtually guide them through the entire process of troubleshooting. I mean, we've all gone through this before where you have the argument with somebody on site. I plugged it in. I plugged it in. I plugged it in. No, I put it in. I put it in. I put it in. And we've all invariably now done the FaceTime call, which is like, show me where you plugged it in. And they go, oh, I didn't plug it in. Uh, you know, but those are those things that, again, working in partnership with the field engineers, working in partnership with the integrators. Um, I mean, we use it for pre-commissioning now. We'll go ahead and all, you know, the integrators that I work with, I'll go ahead and I'll have a login into, you know, their, their corporate land. And we'll go ahead and create a separate subnet and we'll pre-commission as much as we can as possible. So as they're rack building, um, we're launching as we go, which again, doesn't require if you're doing third-party programming, physically being at somebody's office or sitting on a paint can in somebody's warehouse uh, and setting these things up. And that same analogy happens when you go on site. Uh, you know, I, I, my feeling at this point is if you're not actively trying to do as, mu as, mu as much remote work as possible, you're doing yourself and your client a disservice because again, it's, it's, if you figure you go to a job site and let's say you live in a metropolitan area, you're looking at a minimum of 90 minutes round trip, not counting parking your car, finding parking, uh, getting in there, getting unpacked, turning on your laptop, making sure you've got internet. That adds up. You could literally lose half of your day before you actually do anything. And at that point, you know, are, are you, you know, I would look at a client and say, you know, are you really getting what you think you're paying for at this point? You know, if you're looking for the product, which is the end result. So, you know, from a business standpoint, it just makes sense for everybody. So, uh, Frank, when you are working, well, let's take a step back. When a uh, when, when you have a programmer who is working on a project, is, is it a factor as to how well they can do support a project remotely? And is it always the strong programmer that can do the support well? Or is there potentially a different skill set involved? I would say that it, it certainly is an adjustment. Um, but a lot, of, a lot of people may be surprised that I'm actually... Uh, even though I haven't been physically on a job site in years, I believe that every programmer should be on a job site. Um, the best results come from when a programmer has direct and on-demand access to the system. 
I think the difference is how do you accomplish that, right? Physically being there is the obvious way. You say, okay, I can physically be there and I can have my laptop and I can connect to the equipment. And you say, great, right? I just realized years ago that you can accomplish the same thing without physically being there. That's why we call it virtual presence. Mm -hmm. So we deploy a portal kit. We're the only people that provide the hardware, software, and even the internet connection, right? To work with bare metal equipment, to get it all configured and follow it all the way through the life cycle, even past warranty. And so using myself as an example, I remember I didn't use any of the advanced tools. I mean, you know, I, I programmed systems, for 10 years and a very specific, I've developed a name for insisting that I be on site. When people said, well, can you write me code and email it to me? I was the guy that said, no, go to Steve <laughs> or any number of other people, right? And for better or worse, my methodology required that I write the code and I go and personally commission every system. And nothing actually really has changed except I've built a company where everybody does that virtually. So I never used advanced tools because I could push a button and see if the display turned on. You know, why do I need to use advanced tools when I can just look right over? So it was actually a little bit of a learning curve for me uh, when I started doing things exclusively remotely because it's like, oh, that's what debugger's for, <laughs> you know? Uh, not that I didn't use those tools beforehand, but like with AMX notification, never really in any detailed way, right? So you do need, of course, to use those tools, but of course, once you learn how to use those tools, you realize you're finding more information than you ever could have if you just looked at the display. So I realized it was actually laziness on my part to go to the job site. And it's actually grown into a better way of doing business. So what started as a way to sort of save my business and possibly grow it has turned into the best service I ever could have offered. So we do a better service. We've been able to grow the company. Customers get a better value for everything we do. And we can offer things like a lifetime warranty because we let them know up front, we're never going to come to your job site. If you require someone to go to your job site, if this is like a skip or some other very rare situation, which absolutely requires a physical programmer, you need to find someone else. But if you're part of that 80, 90% group that can readily accommodate our virtual presence, then these are the series of benefits you get, least of which is like no charge change orders, lifetime warranty, those kinds of things. Right? So, um, it, it, we're happy with the results. We couldn't imagine doing it every other, any other way, but the reality is, is we actually still go to the job site, just not physically. So uh, Brian, uh, Frank brought up something I thought was interesting, <clears throat> excuse me, is that when you're going to support a project remotely, you, you actually may change maybe some of the things you do in your program. Is that something that you consider when, when you're writing your code? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I program a, a totally different way, you know, supporting remotely, whether it be as simple as writing in debug hooks that can be turned on remotely from console. So debugger never even needs to be turned on. Um, reading from file, reading from a web server somewhere, just things of that nature that allow things to be more dynamic, which obviously allows for other pieces in the system to be reusable. Um, but just allows me to make changes or have generally um, more or junior people make those changes without even needing to involve me um, has evolved in the way that we, we program and the way that we, uh, we commission our systems so that we don't have to, uh, you know, we don't hard code things. We don't, uh, um, we don't, we don't set ourselves up for, you know, additional support from our team. 
Uh, Frank, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you. Uh, the, the, when you, you mentioned that you have you know, some people that, that, are not, that want you to be there or that you know, remote isn't an option, is, are there some ways that you can talk someone through that you know, to give them more confidence and let them know that this is, this is going to work and you know, trust us that, that you know, we're, we're actually going to give you the, the product that you're looking for and you, you may actually save some money and save some time? Absolutely. Uh, this, when we first started doing this, you know, back when I was uh, fiddling with WiMAX, right, there was a big question mark on, okay, I get your vision, but does it actually work, right? And certainly at that time, um, 10 years ago, 4G was, was a new thing, right? So 3G kind of dominated, 4G was just starting to uh, be released, but only very sparingly, right? That's why the WiMAX seemed like an interesting option. And I would say for the first six months, I learned very quickly that uh, this isn't going to work out, right? You need to, um, if I'm going to really deliver on these promises, right, I have to, so, so I, I further changed our practices. We changed the kind of equipment we were using. And now we have a process that, that works virtually anywhere, right? And I think, um, so there was a couple of years where it took a lot of convincing, right? We'd have to kind of give people white papers, you know, pet them, have phone calls, really just kind of massage their anxieties about the whole thing. But now, um, no, we haven't had to do that in like four or five years. People just get, I mean, maybe because we have a track record, but people know this is the way that my company works, right? And, um, you know, we obviously have all these successes. And when the manufacturers start recommending you, so I haven't had to do it, but I can tell you in a while, but I can tell you that, yes, absolutely. If, if there's a process behind you, right, and it's not simply, well, why don't you open up, you know, give me VPN access. I can tell you that turns people off. It's like, well, if I have to give you VPN access, sure. I mean, I can give anybody VPN access, but I don't want to give you VPN access. So we kind of slayed all those dragons, right? All those, uh, we smoked out all those objections, find, you know, what are these things? So while so, there are a subset of clients that would do those things for you, what most people write, when you are providing everything to say, listen, um, we're going to send you a kit and it's going to have our computer, our cables, our switch, our hotspot. Um, what's there to say no to, right? You don't even have to have your stuff connected to the network. And we've actually done banks and, you know, high security. We even do some DOD stuff, right? Not skips, but short of skips now, we pretty much do everything. There's very little objection now these days. Rich, I'll, I'll jump over to you. You know, the, you know, the, in my experience, you know, sometimes the people that you're working with can be all the difference. And, and I know I kind of went over that with, with Brian a little bit and, um, you know, there, there's no substitute for being able to see and touch things on your own. So there, there's really no substitute for being able to see and touch things on your own. And, and, uh, you know, is the, is there too much of a demand on other people and, uh, and, and, or too much of a reliance on other people in order to, to make this remote thing work? Like, is it, is it really very self-serving? I know we talked about the fact that this is what clients for a long term can be a very valuable, but, but in the short term is that, you know, if we look at it from, from a, a big picture perspective, is everybody happy with, with being able to pitch in to make this work? Absolutely. I, and it's funny is that um, a little bit different than Brian's approach where, you know, you might have some of the more seasoned 
field engineers or installers out there. I'm the complete opposite when I work with my integrators. I request basically their newest people for a simple reason is that if I'm supposed to be a value-added service, I view it as a teaching opportunity. I view it as the opportunity to get somebody in there who needs that hand-on experience and has the opportunity to learn. And I take that time out to be able to say, this is the why of what you're doing. This is why we put this together. Here, I'm going to step you through and show you what you've just done and, and take you through the process itself. Where, you know, I think that is, and, and I really like what Frank said, which was, it's not even about remote. He says it very simply. I'm there. We're there. We're on site. We are technically on site. It's just a virtual presence. And I think that is a fantastic way of changing the conversation and, and just the way you have the conversation, which is, we're there. Absolutely. I may not be physically there, but we're there. You see us turning things on. You see us turning things off. You see things functioning the way that they're supposed to. Uh, so again, I, I think it depends on your business model. Um, you know, I, I, if you have the luxury of working with uh, a team that uh, can go ahead and get everything done and it's kind of self-sufficient, then I'm all for it. But I, I think that if you're going to be providing a value-added service, if there's a way that you can help an integrant, again, as a third-party person, if there's a way that you can help your team as a whole get better, you know, I mean, that is the purpose of the value add. So, uh, you know, as, as much as I enjoy working with guys who are pros and I know that absolutely it's going to get done the way that it's supposed to, uh, for me, the, you know, especially we talked about it, you know, it's about the reach one, teach one and passing on that tribal knowledge. And there is now folks of our generation you know, we're that first generation that we're looking towards the end of our career as opposed to the beginning of our career. And it's now even more important, at least for me personally, to be able to say how much of this knowledge that I can pass on. 30 years of accumulated ways of breaking everything possible. Well, I, I was going to add, is, is remote support still good enough to get some good stories to share? That's the key. We all have our good stories from being on site, but maybe that's a good good uh, point for us to stop. But this is a great conversation, and I think something really valuable because I think you know, as programmers, you know, th this is some way that we we can help to contribute to the current situation and and ensure that that you know we're we're still doing our part to make things go smoothly. And and um, actually, I believe helping the team work together more efficiently and. And, uh, you know, especially given the current situation. So thank you guys for your time today and your involvement. Um, first, I'd like to say thanks to Brian McGrogan from Verex. Uh, how can people get in touch with you, Brian, or learn more about Verex? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all the interwebs, as Rich would say. Uh, you can always reach me at uh, bmcgrogan at verex.com. I'd always be happy to answer any questions. Thanks. Frank, hopefully this is a good uh, time for you and thanks for being on. Uh, how can people get in touch with you and learn more about your company, Damiano Global? Uh, it was a pleasure to be on. Thank you for having me. And I would say same as Brian. Um, a lot of the interwebs, uh, Facebook um, and everything. I have a Facebook page that talks about my polar adventures, which I'm known for, which is would be facebook.com forward slash Frank's Polar Life, all in word. And then of course my company website, DamianoGlobal.com. 
And I do encourage people to look at that and, and hear some of Frank's stories. Uh, and last but not least, Rich, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about Fergosa Design and also your, uh, your, your, your contributions to AV Nation? Uh, well, I, I just want to see if Frank was able to go ahead and be virtually present from his polar adventures, because that would be awesome. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> um, you can find me, obviously, like we said, like Brian said, I, I, you type my name into the interwebs, and there I am. Um, there's Fragosa Design, uh, Twitter at rfragosa. Uh, but as always, uh, I hope that you can find me here on avnation.tv in our suite of shows, obviously with my good friend Steve, or our list goes on and on. Uh, the other day, actually, we recorded our ninth anniversary episode of AV Week, which uh, is coming out soon. So that was, it's crazy to think nine years of uh, this band of, of misfits getting together. Very cool. I, you know, we're slowly approaching our hundredth episode, so I'm excited about that. So, uh, thanks, Rich. Um, as Rich said, visit avnation.tv not only to hear more about uh, the show and and Rich's uh, contribution on AV Week and on Resi Week, and uh, but but check out the website. It's it's brand new, redone. Lots of good content on there. Please also take a moment to visit the supporters and let them know that you appreciate the things that they do to help AV Nation uh, be what it is. Go. Uh, and, and, and contribute to the industry. Uh, for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt on most social media platforms, if not all, as well as my company, Control Concepts, at controlconcepts.net. Uh, Rich and I would like to hear from you, so please reach out to us at any time. We, we just want to hear that people are listening. We want to know what you like. We want to be able to do more of it, so please uh, send us a note leave us a review and uh, we, we really want to uh, make sure that we're catering our content to our audience. With that, that's all we have today for State of Control. 